This is Ivor Davis, and you are listening to Jim and Mike Talk Music. Today we have a special guest. He's worked for the London Daily Express, Times of London, and the New York Times. In 1964, he had the incredible assignment to follow the Beatles around on their first American tour. He's covered the Manson murders, and he was there when Robert Kennedy was assassinated. He's a regular Forrest Gump. Let's all welcome to Jim and Mike Talk Music, Mr. Ivor Davis. And the crowd goes wild. <laughs> they always do. They always do. Well, I love the crowd going wild. I just want to say that I, I should have had a box of chocolates because you mentioned <laughs> Forrest Gump. And didn't he, oh, yeah. What did he say about a box of chocolates? Life Remember is that? like a box of chocolates. You never we, know what you're going to pick. You never oh, know yeah, what yeah. you're going to pick. <laughs> we asked Joey Molin if he was a sir, but you claim you're a cur. That's what you told it. Yes. Were you, were you just messing with us? What is a cur? I was slightly messing with you. Slightly, oh, okay. yeah. I have a, I, I hope I have a sense of humor, but I'm a cur, <laughs> not a sir, because, you know, the queen, by the time the queen, you know, gives me a knighthood, mm-hmm. you know, she'll be 100. <laughs> the queen, I should explain for those of your listeners who don't know that the Queen of England kind of gets a sword, a rather dull-edged sword. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ceremonial. Ceremonial. She did it mm-hmm. with that guy, the drummer from that English rock group from Liverpool. What's <laughs> English rock group from Liverpool? Ringo? <laughs> the Beatles? Yes, that's the one. Oh, okay. Yes, Beatles. yes. Oh, God. I've heard of them. That's, I wondered. I forgot about that. <laughs> I mean, two of the Beatles and Paul is Sir Paul McCartney, you know. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. You better call him sure. Paul. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. I'm a bit of a nuisance. No, no. We want you to talk. It's uh, it's an honor to meet you. Uh, We can call you Ivor and not just Sir uh, Sir Davis. Or yeah, Yeah. Ivor. Great. But don't call me Shirley. Never call me Shirley. Okay. From that movie. Yes, Shirley. You must be joking. (laughs) So yes, exactly. Yes. So for our listeners, uh, Jim's got a book holding up here. Yes, it's uh, The Beatles and Me on tour, your wonderful book. So in August uh, 64, you had the opportunity to follow the Beatles around on their first American tour. Now, was this the first time you were in the United States? No, the good thing was I was the West Coast correspondent for the London Daily Express. Oh, okay. Now, London Daily Express, in in those days, you guys remember, I'm going back a bit, when people actually read newspapers. Yes. Do you yeah, remember that? Yeah, yeah I had, I a, I had a paper route. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you did? Those were okay. the days. There you go. <laughs> Those were the days, my friend. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I was the correspondent, the West Coast Bureau, and the Beatles were coming to America, to San Francisco. And my editor called me and said, go and see the boys. The boys are arriving in San Francisco. And I said, who the hell are mm-hmm. the boys? <laughs> He said, and that was boys the Beatles, seriously. Yeah, and that was one of my That's questions. That's what they called them, the boys. That was one of my yeah. questions, uh, calling them yeah. the boys. That just came naturally uh, from the UK. I mean, who who started calling them the boys? It's kind of a natural, you know, name, but... Uh, they were boys, though. You, they were pretty... You know, right. Uh, yeah, I, let, me, let me tell you who called them the boys. Brian Epstein. He said, they're my uh-huh. boys. Yeah. And, and it sucked. It's kind of a... That was it. The family, familiar thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he, and he did feel like they were his boys because, you know, as, as the world knows and you guys know, they, you know, he, he, he snatched them out of the cavern in Liverpool, this mm-hmm. little nightclub, and then he turned them into you-know-what. When you got to the hotel in uh, San Francisco, there was hundreds of girls Surrounding the hotel. Maybe thousands. I don't know. When you uh, say in your book, the, when you really realized it was huge and you could barely get even get into the hotel. Well, I was just thinking if you were if you were a girl or a woman reporter, you might not have gotten in. Yeah. Because I thought you were yeah, a cra- you know, crazy is- fan. Right. Because so many of the yeah, fans, well, uh, like, like you were saying in your book, so many of the fans were teenage girls. And they really were. There, was, there wasn't that many uh, boys or young men in the crowd, right? Not only were there not many young men in the crowd outside the hotel, 
But I want to tell you that in the stadiums for the next five weeks, I would say 90%, I never took account, 90% were girls. And as as you know, and I don't want to jump ahead of the story, Mm -hmm. but, I mean, the girls screamed from start to finish. (laughs) Terrible. I I never knew what they were singing about uh, until I came on this show, and you're going to tell me. (laughs) (laughs) so just like we see in the film clips that it really is a mass of teenage girls screaming just screaming the whole time yeah now you know we've been to a lot of rock concerts and you know Mm -hmm. most uh, all of our listeners have at some point and you know the music is loud but probably never to that degree of screaming that you can't even hear the music let me tell you why okay the sound systems were crap Mm -hmm. back then right so, I mean, they had like it was it was primitive. It was terrible. So the, the screams overwhelmed the music so much. So I, I, I kid you not that I couldn't hear the music because I was sitting in the front row. The Beatles <laughs> at times couldn't wow. hear the music. Yeah. And very often, very often, Ringo became a great lip reader because yeah. he didn't know what hell song they were singing. Mm-hmm. And then he'd look at John's lips mm-hmm. and then he realized he was mm-hmm. playing a hard day's night and John was singing help. <laughs> right. And as, as, and he could even for the, for, to get the rhythm, he could maybe look at uh, John's uh, fingers, you know, to, to see the rhythm moving, moving, but that doesn't tell you what song it is, but at least to get that rhythm. You knew who the Beatles were though. Well, I must confess I'd heard of the Beatles <laughs> and before you guys were born, mm-hmm. in, in, uh, in February of 1964, they appeared on television and they appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show. And 74 million people tuned in that yeah. night, including me. Okay. And I saw the Beatles. I saw the screaming. I thought, you know, if I can understand what they're singing about, mm-hmm. they're pretty good. <laughs> but really, communication back then was not as good as it is today. I always say, if I sneeze in Ventura, California, in New Jersey, nine seconds later, you guys say, bless you, Mm -hmm. because it's (laughs) been on the Internet. I think we've got to we hate to interrupt you when you're talking. I think uh, we've got about a two second delay from here to California with you. So I'm sorry if it sounds like we're interrupting. It's I think it's about two seconds is what I'm sensing here. Well, then I'll make allowances for that. And yeah. I'll speak very slowly. <laughs> We're going to try to not talk over you and you can talk over us. So now some wild stuff happened while you were on the tour. Um, <laughs> like girls sent themselves up in a cardboard box to the room one time. Are there any stories I was wondering that aren't in the book that you can tell us? Like any any wild stories or, or personal ones, you know, well, relation, relation to some of those you know, things. I, I, I mean, look. Can I ask you if, um, does your show, uh, does it go out to people under the age of 16? Oh, because no, I, no. I, I have a racy story to tell. Oh, that's fine. A racy yeah. story to tell. Yeah. It's a terrific story. <laughs> and it, and, and so, so here we go. I'm drooling. Atlantic <laughs> City. Stop. You're dribbling? <laughs> drooling. Drooling. Yeah. Maybe it's dribbling in the UK. It's drooling. Yeah. yeah. Might just just might wipe your mouth. Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> okay, I'm all ears. Where was I? Okay. Atlantic City. The Beatles decide they're going to show us us the traveling press corps a hard day's night. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we're in a we're in the big penthouse banqueting room, and a, an invited guests and the Beatles are sitting there for the screening of a hard day's night. So we come in, we sit down, there's all sandwiches, drinks, all on the Beatles, you know, and if, and if, if you know, we were sponges, great sponges, I mean, if we could eat free and drink free <laughs> yeah, at, take the, it all. at the Beatles' expense, we did it. We did it. So before the lights went down to watch A Hard Day's Night in this private screening, the door is flung open and the promoter walks in, the Atlantic City promoter walks in, and behind him there are six gorgeous young women in various states of dress and undress, okay. mm-hmm. skimpily clad. How about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I jump up thinking, this is my lucky night. <laughs> no. 
No. What happens is the promoter makes sure that we should all sit down and he invites the Beatles to step forward. And he says to the Beatles, and I kid you not, take your pick. Well, so the Beatles are a bit stunned, but they're very quick thinkers. Mm -hmm. So they make their selection in a flash. Yeah. 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 And they, I kid you not, they grab the, the girl of their choice and they go off out of the room, presumably so that the girls can give them a tour of the boardwalk. You know, I mean, I, I, that's what I think happened. That's what they called it back then? Um, <laughs> yes. We're going to start using that to check out my boardwalk. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Great. Yeah, that's great. a good pickup so, line. Uh, so we, then we, we sit down, we watch the movie. And um, when the lights come on again, the girls and the Beatles are in the back row. So the boardwalk trip was pretty quick. Wow. Um, and I, said, I said to Paul, you know, kind of stupidly, well, where did you go? And Paul said, we saw the movie last week. <laughs> Meaning we didn't have to stay. And they were in it. So, <laughs> and they were in it, yes. Yeah. That was a wise choice for, for, the, for the boys. Yeah, yeah. To see a movie again or to go out yeah. with the girls. Yeah, that was just a no-brainer. On the there. boardwalk. <laughs> yeah, no, a no-brainer, yeah. But... Mm-hmm. but but, you know, I tell you a bit later, I, here's what happened. When Brian, who wasn't around at the time, heard about their trip to the boardwalk in, in plain view, he was very upset. <laughs> anyway, but that was, a, you know, kind of a, an interesting sidelight to mm-hmm. my first screening of A Hard Day's Night with or without the Beatles. <laughs> and as you say in your book, uh, you know, Brian was uh, a bit protective. And uh, for our listeners to know, if you didn't, listeners didn't read the book, uh, not just protective, but looking out for the PR, always looking for what kind of image is, is going out to the public. Yeah. With the boys. Uh, but, but don't forget uh, to interrupt you slightly. Brian cleaned up their image before they got the suits and the mop tops. Mm-hmm. They were leather jackets. They yeah. smoked. They swore they, they were scruffs. And that's why they call them apple scruffs, I guess. And they were scruffy guys. Yeah. And then Brian at least took them to a, a tailor on Carnaby Street, which was the fashion street in London. He got the tailors to make them suits without pockets so they couldn't put ciggies <laughs> in their pockets. Nice. Quaaludes. <laughs> and, you know, or, or if they had, so that when they had a bulge in their pockets, it was not cigarettes. <laughs> So, you know, Ivor, they would have been, I think they would have still been successful, maybe not as successful as the Beatles, but they would have been still successful, but they would have been very different. That's, they would have been more like the Ramones, like the, the Ramones have gotten popular, leather mm-hmm. jackets, curse, and, um, you know, working class. Yeah. yeah, that would have been, uh, you know, punk would have started earlier. Maybe. That was before <laughs> punk. I know, that's you what know, I'm saying. That, that's a very, very interesting point. But let me tell you a story somebody told me on the tour Mm -hmm. uh, comparing rock and roll groups. They said the Beatles in America were the kind of kids so neatly, clean, clean, dapper that Mm -hmm. you and uh, the girls would have taken home for afternoon tea with their parents. Okay, lovely. What an image. The Rolling Stones, if you took the Stones (laughs) home to your house... (laughs) They would have burned the house down. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, you heard that. This is my new boy, Mick. Dad, Dad, this is Mick. (laughs) Listen, don't knock Mick. Don't knock Mick. No. Mike, don't knock Nick Mike. Yeah, okay. Because Mick has just had a a, a new baby, isn't he, about two years ago? Yeah. So he's still going strong. He's still going. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Have you met Mick Jagger? Um, No. Oh, yes, I met him. Um, when he did a press junket for a movie called, I think, Performance. Uh, he was in, he's, he's done some movies, you know, Mick. And, uh, oh, he, he knows how to handle himself. A good sense yeah. of humor. You can kind of see that he does. I, I can see the sense of humor in there. During the tour, some things were, I guess people would throw things up on the stage. But one was jelly beans. And yeah. you mentioned yeah. that. There's a different kind of jelly bean in England. Right, the soft. Do you actually have soft jelly beans in the UK? Yeah, well, you see, this is the problem. And this, you know, <laughs> uh, and I'll tell you why it was a problem. Um, 
we do have soft jelly beans in the U- in the UK. Yeah. And George made the blunder of his life <laughs> when he said he liked jelly beans. So the next day we were at Chicago or Cleveland, I can't remember, because it happened everywhere. And the, the girls and the fans started throwing jelly beans. Now, the American jelly bean, and if you check this with the American Jelly Bean Association, <laughs> they will tell you that it's like a piece of, it's like a little missile. Yeah. It's lead. It's like a bullet. Yeah, I was going to say it's as hard as lead. Just about as heavy as lead. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, lead. So, so was and that I surprising? Show you, if I was in the studio with you, I would show you the scars on the back of my neck <laughs> because many of the girls that threw jelly beans were, ba- were bad aimers. I mean, you know, I was in the front row and I got hit. And I finally, you know, I didn't go out and buy a coat of armor, but yeah. I tell you, I stang. <laughs> not stung, stang. Yeah. So it was a surprise then. It really was. Like, what are these projectiles? What are these little wooden pellets that they're, they're hurling at us when yeah. jelly beans are soft? Yes. And that was it. And, and, um, and by the way, in Chicago, they, uh, uh, I mean, this is, I know this sounds like a crazy story, but it's true. I was there. Mm-hmm. They threw a stake. Yeah, I was going to, that was my next question. It was not even barbecued. It was a raw steak. What are you going to do with that? It it missed. It missed. Yeah. But who who brings a steak to a concert? Yeah, yeah. Like two girls talking. It's not like they're selling steak in the lobby. Yeah, it's like there's two girls talking, you know, really looking forward tonight. (laughs) And uh, I've got my, you know, two two pockets full of hard jelly beans. And And oh, you're bringing it and you're bringing a raw steak. Good, good. Yeah, that's a great idea. That Maybe, sounds like a great idea. Yeah, Gloria, you left the steak at home. You <laughs> oh, go. we got to go back. <laughs> Maybe one of them mentioned they love steak, you know, yeah. raw steak. That's it. Well, they did. They, and they did. They used to say, what's your favorite food? Ringo said, baked beans on toast. John right. said, I could, I could do with a, a good steak. There's your answer. Oh, is that where it comes from? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, now, other, you know, they brought other things. And listen, mm-hmm. I would, I would stake my reputation on that. Yeah, I gotcha, gotcha. You know, even more than foods, interesting to me, something of uh, biblical proportions was actually bringing crippled children. Did they bring children to be to be healed or to to touch or see the Beatles? It, look, they did. The kids in the wheelchairs, mm-hmm. and they and they used to they used to call them crippled children. Yes, that's why I said crippled. PC. Yeah, 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 yeah. But PC society calls them not even handicapped children. There's mm-hmm. something uh, physically there's something disabled. Cleaner. Physically disabled. Mm-hmm. Physically disabled. Okay. And John was pissed off royally <laughs> by that because John's weird sense of humor was, "I'm not a healer." We don't go and touch them and say, walk, mm-hmm. you know, and John made fun of that because that was his warped, very funny sense of humor. And that's what I got out of the book. Reading the book, I probably learned more through you about John than about any other Beatle. That warped, uh, dark and warped and bizarre humor that comes from John Lennon. I, that was new to me. Yeah, it would be. I don't know what I would think if if they if the wheelchairs started coming up to the front row. Like, you know, there's one thing of just you know allowing the person with a physical disability to get to the front to see the Beatles. Of course, you can't hear anything, but uh, but if it's actually for healing, like maybe you know maybe the Beatles will bless my child. That's that's well, pretty. Music is healing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you can well, hear the music, and their music was yeah, sort well, of happy music in the mm-hmm. beginning. Yeah, but but I mean, look. Look, I, I mean, I think I might have mentioned this in the book, um, Mike, uh, if you mm-hmm. remember. When, when we were in the hotel room and the curtains were drawn, and when John would open the curtains, hundreds of girls below would scream. Mm-hmm. So John thought that was pretty ridiculous. So mm-hmm. he would march around the, the, the hotel room with his hands <laughs> up with a Hitler salute. <laughs> I mean, wow. yeah, that's yeah. right. Kyle Lennon. I mean, but that's, yeah, legend. I mean, it's, it, it, it's true. I saw it, you know, yeah. but that was his way of showing how crazy this was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then at one point, you opened the curtains. You said, <laughs> you mistakenly Nothing. opened the Silent. curtains. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, 
I thought maybe they thought you silent. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I want to tell you that I never looked like the Beatles. I never spoke like the Beatles. But I want to tell you there was there were fringe benefits to being with the Beatles because many mothers of young girls were happy to, how can I put it delicately, offered rewards mm-hmm. to people who could give an entree to the Beatles to their daughters. Mm-hmm. Let's leave it that way. Yeah. I know this is a this is a you know mature audience, but you know what I mean. Yeah. It's one of the first it's rewards programs that they ever had. You know, <laughs> Beatles rewards like Best Western. Yeah, I, I think. Sorry to interrupt, gentlemen, but you know we have been talking about all this raunchy stuff, and I think you're going to ask me for my brilliant knowledge of music, which is not brilliant. But I, I'm saying the tenor, the tenor of this conversation. Amusing as it is, it's not heavy duty. It's not for the serious classical music people. Back to you. Right. <laughs> okay. So, what kind of music are you into? I mean, do you do you collect vinyl? Do you listen to music? Well, you know every what day? I do now. Um, I, I mean, I, I listen to classical music. Okay, okay. the classical music channel. But I do go out when I go out to thrift stores and estate sales. I buy old vinyl. For, okay. for my collection, mm-hmm. so that when I die, my kids will say, "You filled the garage with all that crap, Dad, <laughs> and now it's worth a lot of money." Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> and I, you know, I went out and bought some Elvis, old Elvis uh, vinyl. Yeah, I started collecting a couple of years ago. Uh, I'm up to 200 records. Like this room we're in now. Any good very... stuff? Yeah. Well, any, I, good, I like... any good stuff, Jim? <laughs> The reissues I buy a lot of and the color vinyl. So eventually maybe they'll become worth something or my yeah. son, I get a hold of them and just give them away. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. He might not know what they're worth, but. Now, speaking yeah. of music, um, one thing that we did note was that a lot that's very different from any other show anywhere is that these shows were actually 20 to 30 minutes long. That's something else I learned from your book. I, I had no idea that they weren't playing for an hour and a half. So it literally was very well, quick. Oh, I mean, it was a joke. It was a running joke with the Beatles. Let's see if we can break our world record. Let's right. see if we can get it down to under 26 minutes. Wow. No, I'm serious. That was yeah. a joke. Yeah. Well, most of their songs were only a couple, min- couple minutes long. Yeah, two and a half, three minutes. They, yeah. they only had, I think, four yeah. albums out yeah. at the time. Yeah, yeah. Although they were doing cover songs, too, like when they played the Cavern Club and but they only, I figured they only did about seven songs. I mean, think about when Led Zeppelin toured America. They weren't doing 20-minute shows. Yeah. You know, they were doing, they had to be doing an hour, an hour and a half at least. Yeah. It was you a d- different kind of playing. Let's, let's jump ahead. All to right, let the... me ask you guys, oh, can I ask you guys yeah. a question? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, sure. Okay. That's, that's a good point. So I go and see Paul McCartney before coronavirus in San Diego. And I go backstage to talk to him before the show. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, he wants to get out of the stadium once he's finished. And I say, Paul, you know, back in the old days, you used to do, if if we were lucky, 30-minute shows. I said, do you play longer now? (laughs) He said, you wait and see. So my question for you is, how long does Paul play in, in his current incarnation? Oh, I'm going to I'm going to guess two two and a quarter. I'm going to say 45 minutes. (laughs) Okay, you're both absolutely wrong. Three hours and 17 minutes. I was off by an hour. Seriously. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. He never leaves the stage, you know. He never leaves the stage. Yeah. Mind you, you know, we got 10 minutes of fireworks. Yeah, let's let's jump from uh, music to actually uh, uh, we were interested in being what you want to say about being the ghostwriter uh, for George Harrison during that time. You really you go into detail explaining that um, and uh, getting to know George was difficult at first. But then uh, what do you what do you bring from that experience, uh, especially at that time in your life? Well, here's what I bring. First of all, uh, my newspaper was paying John, sorry, paying George mm-hmm. for the column. Okay. 
Now, I was writing the bloody column, you know, you think they paid me any more money? No. <laughs> so the point of the column, the point of the column was to talk to George and say, hey, George, what was it like for you in New Orleans? But George went to bed at two in the morning and woke up at lunchtime. My deadline was long gone. So I had to make up the column. So after two weeks, George confronted me. He'd spoken to his mother and she said, George, it's a boring column. What's going on? <laughs> and George said to me on the plane, your column you're writing for me is a bunch of, he actually said shite, mm -hmm. if I can use that expression. Yeah, you can say anything. <laughs> Especially in the US, you can say shite. <laughs> you can say shite. Okay, well, he said it was, he said it was a bunch of shite. And it, and it was. It was a bunch. Um, it was a pile, actually. But I said, <laughs> I said I couldn't, I couldn't go crazy and make stuff up. So I just went along with a boring claptrap. Hey, it's great to be in New Orleans where, you know, rhythm and blues reigns big, big bloody deal, right? Anyway, so I said, George, talk to me, talk to me and uh, tell me what's going on in your mind and I'll do a better job. And he did. And we got on much better after that. Yeah, yeah. Communication. Definitely. Now, you, now you were you writing, uh, you said you were writing a column to begin with. Did this take the place of that column? Like, what was your no, job as no. far as reporting on the Beatles themselves? My, my, my job was to cover the Beatles in each city, whatever happened to them, what okay. they said, what happened. Um, and then in addition, the column was an additional thing for me to write. So I was a reporter reporting on okay. a riot in, you know, when, when in, I think it was in New Orleans again, where, where um, a cops on horseback galloped through the field and nearly trampled the fans to death mm -hmm. because they were, wow. they, they did, were invading the stage. And then in, 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 on the Hollywood Bowl, uh, I mean, would you believe there's a, they had an artificial uh, fountain in front of the stage and a, a lot of girls fully clothed dived in the fountain to swim, yeah. to swim yeah. to the stage. I mean, yeah. I mean, you tell me, you guys are electronic experts, I'm sure. <laughs> if I was a sogging, sogging wet girl <laughs> and I managed to swim to the stage and I hugged John, <laughs> what would have happened? You would have gotten electrocuted. Yeah, Explosive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. and the uh, the girls aren't thinking about that. That's for sure. Wow, no one expected them to no. jump in. Really, no one expected them to jump in the water, get soaked, fully clothed, or not, and and get up to the stage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's strange. So in the book, you talk about we want to talk about Jane Mansfield. Uh, the Beatles were renting a house, and Jane Mansfield came knocking on the door. One day, did you open the door for Jane? Uh, no, I didn't open the door. Okay. Uh, but I understand when John opened the door, uh, how can we put it? Um, Jane Mansfield was a, a voluptuous, mm -hmm. how about that word? Mm -hmm. Yes. If I can use it in this <laughs> yes. era. Yeah, okay. So mm -hmm. it was a very voluptuous lady. And I probably, because I'm not very tall, would have been confronted <laughs> with her voluptuous. <laughs> she would have knocked you over. <laughs> for, our for our listeners, Ivor has uh, has his hands up and uh, has his hands up around each side of his head. There, two I hands surrender. up. <laughs> I like voluptu voluptuous. We're gonna, you know, that's not gorgeous. Is the one, of course, that's used all the time. Uh, but yeah. voluptuous is is really going to be describing her better. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was this the next night they went to the whiskey a go go? So what happened was that she was, if I, if and she's no longer with us, of course, mm -hmm. she was a publicity hussy. Mm -hmm. She did anything she could to get PR. And, she, and it worked well because she wanted to be the next Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. And for those of your listeners who weren't around, Marilyn Monroe, just a background, was a voluptuous actress, a very good actress, and was a sex symbol of, of an era. Anyway. Mm -hmm. I, I shall continue. So she wanted to have a picture taken when she knocked at the door. I'm going to make a joke again, but I won't. I'll just carry on knocking <laughs> at the door. Um, anyway, um, 
And then she, the, the, the Beatles opened the door and Brian was there and Brian said, no, um, no pictures, please. No, you know, the, the boys are tired or something. Mm -hmm. But Jane was no, she wasn't going to be put off. So Jane called John and said, I'm going to see Johnny Rivers tomorrow night. Be mm -hmm. my guest, you and the boys. And they went to the Whiskey Go-Go the next night. Uh, Paul didn't go because Paul was off having a quiet dinner with um, another ac actress called Peggy Lipton, who he was dating at the time. Yeah. She was dating him. So we all show up at the Whiskey Go-Go. It was supposed to be a private visit. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and we arrive and there are photographers there. We, we squeeze in. They, the Beatles go in a big booth and I'm sitting on the table, sit, seeing them with Jane in the middle, with John. And John kind of making, how, how shall I say, getting friendly with Jane. Mm -hmm. and, and George was getting drunk. And I was sitting there watching. It was like watching theatre, seriously. Mm -hmm. I was on a lower table, 10 feet away. George was getting upset at a photographer from the local Herald Examiner newspaper who had, in those days, they had cameras, not the little mini cameras. They had Cameras as big as a refrigerator, I assume, <laughs> with a flashbulb. With bright, a flashbulb. Bright flash. And every time you get a picture, bright ah. flash. Right, exactly. Thank you. Yeah, you're right. So George was getting really PO'd, and he said to the guy, Would you please leave us alone? Well, he actually didn't quite say that. He said it mm -hmm. in stronger terms. <laughs> I mean, you just imagine what John having a what what George with a few drinks would have said. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, he did it's, say it the way you think he said it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just said it. It just rhymes with duck, or yeah. Oh yes, that's exactly. Yeah. In, in the book, it's it's, it's fork fork in the in, in the uh -huh. in the book. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, so that's all right. We don't know, you know, by hook or by fork, you know. Foot. So, so where were we? So John was was kind of canoodling with Jane. And George was getting angrier and angrier and more oiled with the, with the drinks. He finally picked up his drink and he threw it at the photographer who would not leave them alone. Mm -hmm. But John, uh, sorry, George was not, had never had any throwing drinks at the photographer's practice. Mm -hmm. And he was way off key. And, it, and the drink went to the next, uh, next booth where Mamie Van Doren, another voluptuous actress of the era <laughs> was with friends and she got, she got, she got a bath of, of gin and tonic and whatever. And uh, she jumped up, she screamed, everybody screamed. <laughs> the, the Beatles realized that it would bedlam was worse and they all jumped up. They were lifted out over the booth by the security guards <laughs> and they were, they got, they made their getaway in the back, in the back of the whiskey to the waiting limo Bad, you know, yeah. bad experience. Mm -hmm. What made it even worse was the next morning as we left LA, I saw George looking at the local Herald Examiner with a picture of him throwing a drink over the photographer. Big, big, eight, eight column picture. So that was their, their encounter with the fabulous Jane Mansfield, which um, was memorable, but never led to it didn't really turn out as they expected it to as a PR event. Loving the stories here. Loving the stories. We go on to Elvis. Now, this wasn't the first time you met Elvis. You interviewed Elvis on the set of a movie in 1963. And do you remember what movie that was he was filming? Well, let me just tell you. I don't remember, Jim, what the movie was, but I'll mm -hmm. tell you this. They were all the same. They were, uh, yeah, had the same that is true. <laughs> it was a trick question. Lady. Yeah, it was a trick question. Uh, I'm, I'm glad it was a trick question. Because they're all the same. Yeah, I, all I know, it wasn't Elvis goes to Hawaii because there was no, there was no lays or any of those mm -hmm. flowers around. So it was one of the movies, the, one of the 32 movies he made over a period of about 45 years. Yeah. 32 movies over yeah, 45 wow. years Elvis made. And, and as I say, same plot line, mm -hmm. boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets a girl, six new Think, songs for the... For and the usually a, a fight. And, and, oh, a fight too, yeah. Yeah, there's a, usually a fight, <laughs> like oh, a bar yeah, fight. Yeah. Yeah. I, I forgot the fight, yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, anyway, so where were we? Where were we? <laughs> Elvis, meeting so Elvis. You, Elvis. 
So when the Elvis met the Beatles, well, first of all, do, do you think Elvis was a little jealous of the Beatles? I think because Elvis was the biggest selling artist oh. of the 1950s and into the 60s. But here come this band, the Beatles, taking away his his glory, taking away his spotlight. Yes. So to say. Well, that was all. You see, Jim, Jim, that is the that is the underpinnings of the story. I didn't realize it when I went with them to meet Elvis, that that okay. was the reason why Elvis was jealous. Anyway, John loved Elvis. John mm -hmm. loved Heartbreak Hotel. He loved Blue Suede Shoes. Mm -hmm. He told me he used to listen, like I did in England growing up, to all those songs of Elvis on a, on a portable radio late mm -hmm. at night because we listened on a channel called Radio Luxembourg, which was in Europe, because the BBC did not have rock and roll music on their channels. But Luxembourg okay. did. So they, they wanted to meet Elvis. It finally happened. The first year, they were all too busy. Elvis was making these crappy movies. The <laughs> Beatles were on tour. And finally, they came along. And it was kind of weird. We show up. Brian Epstein said, no reporters. I managed to get in because I was, I don't know, one of the, one of the family. No mm -hmm. tape recorders. And no photographers yeah there's not a single picture of that except john arriving in the in the you might find a picture of john arriving as we all did in the in the courtyard of elvis's house so we go in there and and uh, i stand in stand back and the beatles sit down nobody introduces the beatles to uh -huh. elvis so we're sitting around and elvis is watching uh, a giant 16-inch color TV. Mm -hmm. 16 inches was very big then. <laughs> yeah, at that time. But what was even more stunning, yeah, oh, a bit wider than that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> much wider. Yeah, yeah, that's 16 inches, yeah. Not 72 people, yeah. Not 72. <laughs> um, but the interesting thing was, for 10 minutes, we all sat watching Elvis, watching the giant screen. Nobody introduced them to, e to each other. And what the Beatles were fascinated about was Elvis had this thing in his hand mm. and every time he pressed it, the, the picture changed. <laughs> you know, do you remember what that was called? My dad called it a <laughs> remember clicker. Remember that? Clicker. My dad called a it a clicker. clicker. <laughs> That's right. Well, there you go, Jim. Your dad was right. Elvis had this clicker. And when you clicked it, the picture changed. <laughs> oh, my God. Seriously, I, I mean, you've got to realize this is 1965. Well, that was high technology. At that, oh, at so that it was. Time. I remember when the when the remote. I think we called it a clicker. I remember when the remote uh, came to us. Yeah, black and white TV too. So this was color TV. Yeah, wow, really? Okay. Yeah, Elvis mm -hmm. was ahead of uh, of time with the technology because money breeds technology. I remember having the black and white TV. Yeah. So it would have been good. You would have enjoyed getting up and breaking that awkward silence and saying and introducing the Beatles to Elvis. I mean, you certainly would have done a great job of that. Yeah, I would have done a great job, but I knew that I wasn't supposed to be there. Yeah. Oh, okay. uh, and unless I said, I'm, I'm, you know, what am I going to say? I'm their, I'm their minder, uh, you know, yeah. I'm their bodyguard, all me, all five foot three and seven, five, four, five foot two and a quarter. Never mind. Anyway. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so what am I going to say? So I kept my mouth shut and just right. watched this charade playing out. And then finally Elvis, and I've got to say, he had a sense of humor, jumps up and says something like, you know, if you guys didn't come here to jam, I'm going to bed. Well, that, that yeah. broke the ice. And they <laughs> got up and they started jamming. Yeah. Uh, and, and poor old Ringo was left out. There were no drums. They plugged in the guitars. In Ringo went to play snooker or pool in the other room mm -hmm. and for about 20 minutes they jammed all elvis music none of the beatles songs wow. yeah <laughs> letting him lead it. then really essentially he was leading yeah it was his yeah. house got it you were kind of yeah. like the the fifth beetle if if you could have played an instrument yeah you know yeah, you're in like if you could have played the tambourine yeah. that they might have well tambourine yeah i'm glad you mentioned that because i it's not that difficult. I think you just mm -hmm. bang it <laughs> at the right the moment. Beat. Is that right? Yeah. I'll keep the beat. Thank you. Did you Can ever... I call in next week for the next lesson? <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever 
see them rehearse songs or there was I'm sure there were rehearsals and then you could hear the music. You know, I want to tell you, yeah, um, Jim, there were no rehearsals because okay. they did exactly the same set oh. Oh, every okay. single yeah. concert, except, except, except in Kansas City when they suddenly got a late gig to play Kansas City, got a lot of money, and they opened with Kansas City, the song. Yeah. yeah. And otherwise, it was, it was cookie cutter. It was exactly yeah. the same every show. And they never spoke in the middle. They may have said, and now the song from our lady, John would say, and now we're going to give you a song from my latest movie, A Hard Day's Night. Yeah. That was it. And when they finished, they were gone with the wind. That's what Kiss does now. I mean, some bands still do that. Kiss, when they, they were, before the, the coronavirus, they, they, I saw them and supposedly they play the same, same songs every night. But they've got the they've got the fire and all they've got a lot of stuff going on, so they have yeah. to sync it up with everything. Well, well, the other thing I'm going to ask you a question again is mm -hmm. you can you can imagine with fifty thousand kids or people in the audience, as soon as they finished Long Tall Sally, they were gone. Mm -hmm. They were in the back of out the out the out oh. of the door, either in the limo or the ambulance or the fire truck or the meat truck because it was dangerous to hang around and they were gone before everybody stood up mm -hmm. right out and of the stadium it, and it's important to note for our listeners who just think that's the norm this was different at that point right to to play quick take off be gone right yeah well i mean i mean where does the phrase elvis has left the building come from was that yeah. to do with getting a, a fast getaway right yeah what, yeah, before the people, it, you know, they turn the lights on and he's already, yeah. Elvis has left in the, the car. That's right. There you go. So now in 1966, the Beatles came back to America for their second tour. But this was a little different because you, you, you only covered the West Coast. How many shows did you attend? But this was different because you, you weren't, were you staying in the hotels at this time? No. With them or no, just no. covering? Uh, 1964 was the first tour yeah. I mm -hmm. covered from start to finish. Yeah. 1965, when they went to see Elvis, I covered the West Coast. And okay. in 1966, their last tour of, mm -hmm. of America, when, okay. when, when people were burning, burning the Beatles records yeah. in 66. Yeah. yeah. The reason that you know that John said we're more popular than Jesus, I mean, yes. that turned America, mm -hmm. certain elements of America, off. So 66, I saw them at their parties um, in Beverly Hills at the Hollywood Bowl. And mm -hmm. uh, maybe I think, uh, that, and that was about down to San Diego. That was the last that concert. So I think that could have been the beginning of uh, the huge movement, especially by uh, religious conservatives to uh, hate rock and roll for the coming two decades or so it was pretty big. That could have been actually the beginning of it with John saying that that's, that's very interesting. And, and for it to be so uh, such a, such a uh, backlash with burning records and all that. Well, parents didn't like Elvis either. That's true. You know, shaking yeah, his well, pelvis. Elvis is Elvis's pelvis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Remember they said, didn't they, you guys, didn't they say Elvis, Elvis, was to be photographed from the waist up. Yeah, and not, yes. And you weren't supposed to see his <laughs> hips swiveling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was a um, a firecracker incident. There was where there was a, a sounded like it could have been a small caliber gun. Uh, do you recall that? Yeah. Well, what happened was, and I can't remember. I think it was in the south. But what happened was, John was persona non grata in 1966. John was the one who made that sacrilegious statement, which, of mm -hmm. course, was blown up beyond all proportions. Mm -hmm. And so John was very nervous and John was very apologetic. And John realized the mood in America had changed dramatically to Wheatles because right. of that one statement. And, and, and he was seeing that they were burning his records, Beatle records, having big bonfires. Mm -hmm. And the mood was a bit ugly in the Deep South. And on that occasion, John was in, I forget which, maybe Birmingham, somewhere in the South. 
there was a, a firecracker that went off and and I wasn't in the stadium at the time, but one of, um, I forget who it was, Mal Evans, the roadie said, we, we were terrified. We thought we would see John crumple to the ground having been shot. Mm-hmm. And we knew it was time to get out of town fast. And you didn't actually know, uh, you know, because that could have been a gun that was shot like a 22 and uh, that cracks like a firecracker and missed. I mean, you really don't know, correct? So, John, well, you know, no, no, nobody, nobody really knew. Nobody said, oh, nobody did a deep investigation. And so right, right. I was little Luann, Birmingham, Alabama, who bought a firecracker and let it off. Mm-hmm. We never know yeah. to this day. Right. But John was disturbed by America's love of guns. Is that true? He did. He was aware. Is that right? John was really I mean, with all due respect to Paul and the others, John was the most socially conscious of the Beatles. Right. John was the one that showed me showed me in 1964 um, the, the, the a newspaper somewhere in Florida um, with a picture of um, police and uh, their attack dogs attacking protesters in the, in the mm-hmm. when when the, when the you know the, the, the black white revolution or whatever you know the whole protest movement was on mm-hmm. John saw that was disgusted by it you know and that's when the whole mm-hmm. stuff came up about would they play to a segregated audience. But to be honest with you guys, I never saw many black people in the audience. It was mostly mm-hmm. whites that went yeah. to see the Beatles. So, but anyway, right. John had the conscience. John said, and Paul said, we will not play to a segregated audience. And that was, right. that was it. But, but I may add, that 66 concert was the start of the end. Mm-hmm. John said, you know, we're a bunch of, performing fleas they don't come yeah. to hear us they come to see us and we mm. i don't want that and yeah 66 they stop never never to tour again yeah that's a that's a really important point that you make there uh back about race yeah i think that uh it there's two reasons uh, i'm thinking that there wasn't many black people african-americans at the shows uh, one is you know it could not it might be the style of music but also, even up until a few years ago, people who are minority are not going to go into uh, chaos and crowds. I mean, this is a huge cops chaos and crowds. I mean, you know, so it would make sense that you wouldn't uh, you'd be seeing mostly white people there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. I, I mean, I went to San Diego Petco Stadium nine, uh, 2019, six months before the corona mm-hmm. to see Paul McCartney. 50,000 people at the stadium. Um, there, were, there were, you know, more uh, assort, assorted audiences, mm. but it's still, it's still majorly white for a Paul McCartney mm-hmm. concert. Yeah. I mean, so maybe Paul would come up and say, no, don't. we get a lot of black people, we get a lot mm-hmm. of Asians, we get a lot of Hispanics. Yeah. I don't know. If you call up Paul, ask him and see what he well, thinks. But seriously. What's interesting is I, I just heard an interview at Tom Jones. He was on Mark Marin podcast, but this was a couple of days ago. And Tom Jones claims that the Beatles were the ones that segregated music Hmm. because before, yeah, before the Beatles, everybody was listening to Elvis and Motown and I think that would have been unintentional with the style of the music and probably not intentional. But uh, what do you think, Ivor? Well, you know, I think, you know, nobody has ever brought that subject up. And I think it's a fascinating topic for, for discussion. And I'll just give you my feeling. I mean, Tom Jones said that, and it's a very interesting subject. Um, did they say, I don't know. And I'd love mm-hmm. to look at it more closely because everything about the Beatles has been examined nine million times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> good, good, good point. <laughs> All I want to tell you, I mean, this is not answering your question, but I had to. As part of my job, go and see Tom Jones every bloody time mm-hmm. he performed in Las Vegas. We saw him twice, uh, not in Vegas though, mm-hmm. but still an incredible show. So tell us about uh, Tom yeah, Jones in Vegas. Incredible show, but it's improved. If you next time get Tom on, but when I saw yeah. Tommy, did the same bloody show, same as the Beatles. He got the same women to sit in the front row. Gave them the uh-huh. underwear, gave them oh, okay. the keys, and said, when I sing, it's most unusual, start throwing. I mean, he didn't. Gordon Mills, his manager, did. 
But I thought if I have to go and see another Tom Jones show in <laughs> Vegas, kill me. <laughs> no, we saw him and his voice was strong. And, mm-hmm. and the second half of the show, it was just him and a guitar player. Tom sat on a stool, mm-hmm. just him and a guitar player and his voice. I'm talking like 10, 15 years ago. Did you or so, your wife throw any underwear? Did you throw no, any clothes she, at all? Did you throw no. your hat at least? I ripped off my shirt and threw it <laughs> on stage. Yeah. 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 Well, that's very interesting because, you know, Tom, when I went, uh, uh, Tom used to hang out with Elvis in, uh, in, in, at the Hilton Hotel in Vegas a lot. That's oh, where wow. I got, used to go to the Hilton Hotel for, for Tom's show. And then Tom didn't play the Hilton. Elvis played the Hilton, mm-hmm. of course. 800 performances Elvis played at the Hilton Hotel, would you believe? <laughs> anyway. You know, one of the things you write uh, is that uh, what the Beatles did, you know, on tour, we're not going to go back into that too much, but I just I just saw something I missed. Booze and all night games of Monopoly. Now, I grew up playing Monopoly and uh, that's I didn't see that coming. I was thinking maybe all kinds of booze, which was definitely there. And then maybe some, you know, poker or other card games. But Monopoly, I mean, really? Yeah, let me just say. The Beatles actually didn't drink that much. I mean, I know this sounds silly. Um, they didn't drink that much because every week or two, Brian would get the Beatles and say, hey, your bar charges have gone to over $100 this week. Can you cut back, you know, your, your mini bar charges? So Brian stayed on that. When I, I, I mean, I, I must confess, I, I had a next room to John uh, in a smaller room, of course. I didn't have a mini bar. So I would go in and steal a drink from the bar. <laughs> because, because the beat So you were the run, one running <laughs> up the tab. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah. But, that, but keep it to yourself. Yeah. Um, but, the, the, yeah. but the funny thing is that John would call me and then call Arthur Schreiber, who was a Westinghouse guy, and say, come and play Monopoly. And he loved Monopoly. And we would go in at two in the morning. We'd start playing Monopoly. John would start cheating. And then when we accused him of cheating, <laughs> he didn't. He would then say, hang on a minute. He'd pick up the phone and call uh, Cynthia in Liverpool. Two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning is 11 o'clock in the morning in Liverpool. And then we'd see this rock and roll guy goo-gooing Mm-hmm. to Ju- Julian, you know, who was a baby. And then he put the phone down and carry on cheating <laughs> in Monopoly. Cheating in Monopoly. Was there a different, uh, is it the same classic U.S. Monopoly game? Just, I mean, there, there's a lot of lovers of Monopoly, uh, I know, out there with our listeners. Was it different? Was it the same U- yeah. classic? I mean, U- the difference in the game, I mean, it was the same principle. Mm-hmm. Exactly the same principle. Right? But don't forget, the English board games had, instead of, um, uh, uh, what's the expensive New York property? Park Place, there? Boardwalk. Yeah, okay. They would have Mayfair or Park Lane. Okay. They would change the station, then Church Street instead of Grand Central or whatever the hell. So they had an English board game, which was applicable to English places, properties, to the, the Americans, uh, to the American game. But it, mm-hmm. it was the same principle. The idea is you roll the dice, you land on your property and you buy it. If John wanted to land on a certain property and didn't, he would say, I want to roll again. And we didn't <laughs> yeah. argue. And then he roll again. And finally, he get the number he wanted. He'd land on it and he'd buy it. Uh, he was a I, property mogul. I just imagined him a little more fair than that. Just thinking uh, no, back. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> just thinking back to all the different people on uh not just the not just the first tour, but just all the relationship with the Beatles as we're focusing on that today. Was there was there others that you got close to? Uh, um, I'm thinking maybe of of Derek Taylor or somebody else that you uh, you as we say now you were chilling with people. You know, you kick back and, and well, you got an extra you. hour chilling with. The answer is Derek and I were very close because Derek used to work on my newspaper. He was okay. a showbiz writer. Or Brian, he went to work for Brian. So it was his paper. He was the one that introduced me to the Beatles. He was the one with the, my passport to them. And he was a great guy. He, you know, he just knew his stuff. 
He was a he he adored the Beatles. He had the same sense of humor. He could have been a Beatle himself. A, mm-hmm. a great guy. And and Derek was the one when look when Derek argued with Brian Epstein very often. He did. Finally, he left him. He came to California where I live. We got back together again. Became friends. Went to parties. He came to my wedding. Mm-hmm. So I knew. You know, because he came, Derek came to America and the Beach Boys and uh, and the Birds and the and all these groups of the era, era mm-hmm. would hire Derek and say, sprinkle some of your Beatle magic on us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Derek was great at it. It was terrific. He knew his stuff. Great, great guy. And the roadies were nice. Mal Evans was always the big, the big hunk. Uh, Neil Aspinall was a little less of a hunk, more of a, a thinking man. Mm-hmm. And as you know, I'm sure, that Neil went on to become the head of Apple in London, ran, ran the company. And, and Mal had problems with drugs and came to America, to L.A., and was shot dead by a sheriff who wow. had been called to his house. I, I'm sure you know the story. I mean, the, the sheriff thought he was armed. His girlfriend, Mal's girlfriend, said he was armed. And Mal Evans, who was a great guy and a, and, a, and a real confidant of the Beatles, was shot dead by one of the sheriffs. And that was it. And Neil lived a long life, died a few years ago, and, as I said, ended up running Apple, the Apple Beatles company. Yeah, successful. I think I read in your book, if I'm correct, that or maybe, maybe it was someone else, but you, you have 300 Beatles books? In your yeah, collection? I've got more. I keep buying. I didn't know there were that many. There are, there are. And I just bought, um, I met on a convention, virtual convention, a guy called um, Leslie Cavendish, who mm-hmm. was a Beatles hairdresser, and he wrote a book. So he yeah. sent me his book. Uh-huh. And then there was so much stuff. There's a great <laughs> book by Craig about 150 things you need to know about the Beatles. Every <laughs> month, it seems. There's a new Beatle book. I'm sure you mm-hmm. guys know, but yeah. anyway, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Have you read them all? I've read a lot of them. I've read a okay. lot of I've read the ones where I want to get information about, for example, about the Beatle finances I was interested in because I saw what a mess it was in, in America. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I looked up books on their finances. I must admit that you guys are the music, musicologists. Um, if you were to say to me, well, what song is on one album? I can't tell you. I, can, I know every Sgt. Pepper album. I know, well, I know the songs, and I know the White Album, because mm-hmm. the White Album was supposedly used by Manson, promote the murders in the Manson murders. Anyway. That's right. That's right. That's another story. Right. So uh, today, Ivor, we're focusing... Um, You've given us so much of your time. We're focusing on the Beatles. And there's going to be a lot of people, a lot of Beatles fans looking and hearing from you. And, and I want our listeners to know that we don't have the time to go into all the other things that you've done. But uh, we can just mention that uh, you, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Charles Manson uh, was using or relating to um, Helter Skelter, I suppose, and mm-hmm. uh, some other, some other yes. uh, things. But you've you've studied that. That's that's been an area of your uh, reporting and studying. Yeah, you had a book that came out before the trial, and they used it as a blueprint for the trial. Manson murders. Yeah, they, they, they did. Yeah. yeah, but that's a whole new ball game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. It is. And that came. And that came, was that early seventies. Uh, excuse my ignorance of history. That, yeah, well, was, that was in nineteen seventy, before the trial began, before yeah. the Manson mm-hmm. murder trial began. Yeah. yeah, written a new book a year or two ago. Yeah, my new book came out two years ago. It's called Manson Exposed: okay. A Reporter's Fifty-Year Journey into Madness and Murder. And if I can just say, if anybody's interested in the Beetle book or the Manson mm-hmm. book or my children's book about Four penguins who want to be like the Beatles. They can go to www.ivadavisbooks.com, okay. and that's the end mm-hmm. of my promotion. Okay. <laughs> end of my commercial. Now, are you are you on? You're on Facebook. Do yeah. you do in, Instagram at all? Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on. Who knows? I mean, listen. <laughs> I'm an old guy, and and every time they come out with Zoom, gloom, doom, yeah. uh, <laughs> TikTok. 
Mm-hmm. Bang, bang. <laughs> <I'm done. laughs> well, you know, it, it's, it's too much. Mm-hmm. My, my grandkids can help me. Yeah. Help. I need somebody. <laughs> I need somebody help. Now I got I got your book on Amazon so people can go there, correct, and get mm-hmm. your books or yes. like you said, your website. Yes. So we had a great time, Ivor, and that well, yeah, well thank you, thank you very much. So thank you, Ivor. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we covered a lot, but we didn't cover a lot. There's always yeah. a lot, to, you know, you've got to, to try and cover 80 years. <laughs> Um, in, 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 in an hour is difficult, yeah. but uh, I've had good fun with you guys. Thank you. Uh, except for the two-second delay when I keep thinking I'm treading on your toes, but I'm not, <laughs> so I apologize. We'll talk again whenever it suits you, and thanks for having me on the show. Thank, okay. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Have, a great, have a great rest of the day, Ivor. Take care. Okay. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Today's interview was recorded on Zoom and at, did you say, Seven Studios in Washington, New Jersey. Go to the YouTube channel for exclusive video content. Intro and exit music by the band 99%. Today's show was produced and edited by Jim Thatcher. You can find Jim and Mike Talk Music on Apple Music, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you listen to podcasts.